Well, good morning, Journey. Good to be with you here today. Glad that we are able to gather together. For those who aren't here, but you are somewhere else, like a lake for Memorial Day, better room than we are in right now. We hope you're enjoying it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you haven't had a chance to meet me yet, my name is Christian. I'm on the ministry team here at Journey as a church planning resident, which means I'm here to prepare to plant a church one day in the near future. And a part of that experience is learning how to preach. And I'm excited and honored uh, to do that with you today. But before we get there, I want to start um, a little differently than we normally do here at Journey when we uh, teach the Bible. Um, I, you know, we were, I was thinking about this yesterday, that we are in a series called The Kingdom. We've been learning some foundational truths the last five weeks now. Um, and one in particular, I'm going to put them on the screen here. One in particular I just feel is really um, timely. I feel like they all are timely today. But number two, I was thinking about yesterday, the kingdom people must understand the condition of the world. And I thought yesterday, and just we felt as a church the need to kind of address this, that there was um, another just proof of what that condition of the world is on Tuesday, well, of that of brokenness. I think that it was just reminding us of, again, uh, what happened in Texas is just another evidence that the world is not as it should be, um, and that it's broken. And we just want to take a moment before that we jumped in the day and talked about what I prepared just to pray for those families. Um, not to talk about political opinions and what's surrounding it, but just the people involved and what they went through and how they've been affected. Because there's a lot of families today that are waking up, wishing they're waking up from a nightmare. And instead, they are going to continue to live in a really tough reality um, that I would never imagine and want to be uh, my life at all. And we are called as the body of Christ to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And so we're going to do that today. Um, before we start, you know, I have a, my little daughter, she'll be turned five in July and she's starting to understand some things, some concepts about the Bible and Jesus. And so we're trying to teach her at any opportunity we have. And when things go wrong or are messy, we like to, one of the things that we teach her is that the world is broken. And so she sometimes will ask us, Hey dad, is the, is the world still broken? And I'll have to answer every time. Yeah, it's still broken. And she'll ask me why. And the answer is the same every time because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And we are waiting for that day for him to come back and set things right. Amen. The good news is we learned last week he's on his way, but just not yet. And so we're waiting for him. So I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me. I want to lead you through a time of prayer um, just so we can pray for those families. As you settle in on this moment, just in your own heart sitting there, you may not know a single name or family that was affected this past week, but just pray that God would make his presence known to those families. Pray that he would send grace and comfort and peace, even at a time like this, in the only way that he can. Father, we need you today. We pray for the families that were affected this last week, and we just pray that you would do what only you can do, which is to comfort and send peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for healing in those families, God, and for you to work together, whatever you can, Lord, in the only way you can, um, good, because, Lord, you have the final say. We thank you that we serve a God who we know is one day going to make things right. We pray as we open up the Bible today and that we read it and learn from it that you would um, speak to us directly. You speak through me, God, that you would focus our hearts and minds on this moment. And we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you haven't a chance to, to go and be here for this whole series, I just want to encourage you, go on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, our website, and just catch up. Because 
really, I think that this is the re- these days like these remind us why it's important that we have a worldview to understand when things go wrong, we need a way to, to put them in categories that the Bible tells us. And I think these four foundational truths alone are enough to do that. So I just want to encourage you. We're not going to run through them today, but if you have not been able to attend every week, go back and listen because it will be really helpful. But today we're actually finishing up this section. We got a 17-week series of the kingdom. And the first five weeks, we were going to spend setting some foundational truths of the ones that are on the screen right here. And today we finished that part up with our fifth one that says this. Kingdom people must understand the reasons why people reject Jesus. Kingdom people must understand the reasons why people reject Jesus. We're going to watch Jesus leave from speaking in parables, and now he's going to come back to his hometown, a place you would think he'd be welcomed and received well, and instead he gets a a totally different experience. And we're going to look and see what are the reasons that happens And then look in our own lives and hearts and see, is it even happening with us? So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be in verses 53 to 58. The verses will be on the screen behind me. If you have the JCI app, you can follow along there. If you have your bulletin, there will be notes in there. You can follow along and just know where we are, where we're tracking. Matthew 13, 53, verse 58. Here it goes. Let's read it. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So from the outset, there is a spiritual tension in this passage. When I was reading it and studying it this past week, I thought, man, there's something here that is kind of alarming that could also be at play today. This is the spiritual tension that we see in the passage. The people saw what Jesus could do. They understood what Jesus taught, but missed who Jesus was. They saw the miraculous powers. They heard the wisdom he spoke with, but they rejected him anyway. Which means for us today, we can be moved by every word Jesus speaks. We could see a ton of miracles he does, and we could still not know who he is. Because that's very possible that you can know about someone, but not actually know them. For instance, I'll give you an example. My wife was up here just now leading worship. I don't know where she is now, but she last service she was sitting right there. So it's easy to be like, there she is. But she was up here leading worship, and I could tell you a bunch of things about her. I could tell you that she is an incredible singer that you probably already know. I could tell you she's a great mom. I could tell you that she loves food, not because she's pregnant, but because she's a foodie. I could tell you that she loves movies, like Marvel movies, Star Wars movies. Like We like to be nerds in that way. I can tell you she's a month away from giving birth to a baby boy, help us God. And I can tell you that because of that, she snores really bad at night, and so that's tough on me. I can tell you all these things and you'd be like, oh, obviously, like you know her. And so you can, you can list all these facts about her, but you do not have to know someone to know things about them. An example I'll give you is celebrities. There's a lot of teenage, maybe young adult girls over here that could tell you a lot of things about Justin Bieber that his closest friends and mother doesn't know about him, but they become like professional stalkers and they know everything about them. Like people are crazy about celebrities. Grown men, we're this way with sports. Let's not be ashamed about it, okay? I love the Kansas City Chiefs just as much as anybody, and I like to follow the players and what they're doing, their personal lives, making sure, you know, they're behaving because we don't want them to get in trouble and whatnot. So when I actually moved here uh, to Kansas City, a guy came up to me and he said, hey, I got Mahomes' address. I thought, that's 
interesting. I said, do you know him? And he said, no. And I was like, that is so weird. Send it to me. That would be great. Um, you know, just to make it drive by someday. You know, like we, you don't need to know someone to know about them. And today what we're seeing in this passage is that the people knew about Jesus, but they did not know him and they ended up rejecting him. So what are the reasons why that happens? Why is it that he can come to his hometown and be well-known, but they miss him completely? We're going to talk about three reasons why that happens. And I'd say this, of all the foundational truths that we learned, none of them will ultimately matter if we miss this. Because if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. So why did they miss him? Let's talk about that. The first reason is this, they were too concerned with the details of Jesus. Too concerned with the details of Jesus. Look at Matthew 13, 54 and 56. It says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Real quick, interesting to note, the people did not reject Jesus because of an information gap. They didn't reject Jesus out of lack of evidence. They rejected Jesus despite the evidence they were witnessing. It's a really powerful word for us today that we'll circle back up at the end of the sermon. Just keep that in your mind. They saw everything, but they still rejected him. Verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? See, the people saw Jesus, and they saw what he could do, and they could hear what he taught, but they missed him because they couldn't get past the details of Jesus' life. Like, they were too familiar with his background. They're like, wait a second, this is baby Jesus. Like, we we watched this kid grow up. I saw him run around here in diapers. He, like, built me a table, right? Like, he's a carpenter. He comes from Joseph's family. Aren't those his brothers? That's his, that's his mom over there. And, like, wait a second, he, he never had any professional teaching or education. He's not a rabbi. Like, where is he coming from teaching us these things? We know this guy. Like, we know Jesus. Their familiarity concerning his background hindered them from embracing his identity. In short, what we're seeing happening here is that they're majoring on the minors. They're missing the forest from the trees. And that's happening even today. Think about it. What are some things people get hung up on that are associated with Jesus and Christianity but may not actually, you know, be Jesus himself? Kind of touched on it a little bit. Politics is a big one in America. A lot of people like to use Jesus for their political viewpoints on both sides. And then when people see that, they're like, okay, if that's what Jesus sides on, I want nothing to do with Jesus. It's not really about him, but it's the things surrounding him. You got people with kind of some Bible nerds that like to talk about theology, and it's like they live and die on talking about certain conversations and topics theologically that may not be ultimately important, but they just can't get past it. You got people who talk about the stories of the Bible. Like, do you really believe there's a flood that happened this many years ago? You really believe a man was swallowed by a fish and lived for three days? Like, there's all these things that people will talk around Jesus, but may, may not talk about him. And they get hung up on those things. In fact, Paul, the great missionary of the first century in the church, wrote 13 letters of the Bible. He at one point had a protege named Timothy. And Timothy was a young church planter, and he wrote to him something about this very topic. Look what he says when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. 
None of the things that we ultimately talked about, and I just named, are bad. There's good in them. It's necessary to have conversations about politics and theology and the stories and history of the Bible. But ultimately, if we're not careful, we can talk about things that get us in more arguments and have us dying on hills that ultimately don't matter. We can evangelize about the wrong things. And it's sad to say, but there is a growing crowd of Christians who would rather win an argument than win a soul. They would way more rather you agree with them than come to know Jesus and have some disagreements. Paul tells Timothy, don't have anything to do with that. Don't go this way, that way. Don't be argumentative, like be gentle and respectful. Help them come to the truth. That's a word for some of us today. We don't see a lot of great examples of being gentle and respectful, do we? You can say the right thing in the wrong way and be wrong. You say the right thing at the wrong time and be wrong. Paul's telling them, this is a, this is a delicate thing to do. But we're not going to win people to Jesus by talking about everything under the sun. We're going to win people to Jesus by talking about him. That's the spiritual lesson for us today. It says, if we say this, if we only talk about the details surrounding Jesus, we will never talk about him. If we don't talk about him, no one's going to come to know him. So when in doubt, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. The primary call in your life and my life, this is going to hurt some people like myself who likes to be right. The primary call in your life is not to be right. It's to show people Jesus. Which is why we have a core belief here at Journey that's of sharing Jesus. If you know him, you show him. Not things about Jesus necessarily, not things that are associated with Jesus, but you show him. You bring people back to him. When you're in those situations and those conversations, again, not bad to talk about them, but like you got to be the ones that are working your way back to Jesus because they're not going to go to Jesus themselves. So let me ask you a question. What are most of your conversations about these days? Not just with other believers, with those who don't know Jesus, what are you talking about? Maybe in your own personal life, in your own pursuit of Jesus, have you kind of lost sight of what the main goal and purpose of being a Christian is to know him and to pursue him? Because people who know him talk about him. The people missed him because they couldn't get past the details of Jesus. But secondly, they rejected him because they were too offended by the claims of Jesus. Tells us in Matthew thirteen fifty seven the first part of the verse, and they took offense at him. He was talking and teaching, and they're like, "We we don't like this. This is we're not about this at all. Like this is offensive to us." Let me ask you a question: Have you ever been offended before? Have you ever had anyone give like unsolicited advice or opinions that you did not ask for, but they just decided to give them to you, and you thought, "I didn't really need that, but I appreciate it." I thought of one this last week. It's not about me. It's actually about my wife, Hannah. Back in the end of 2016, she was very early on pregnant with her firstborn. You're like, this guy talks about his wife being pregnant a lot. Just follow me, okay? (laughs) She was like maybe 10 weeks. So like, you know, your first pregnancy, 10 weeks in, you're not showing at all. There's nothing really happening. But it started leaking out to our church. We told our families a few weeks prior. And so people in the church started to find out, and they started getting excited. And so one day at church, in between services, a very lovely, mature lady comes up to Hannah. And she had found out she was pregnant. And she informs Hannah that she knew she was pregnant, which is always a terrible way to start a conversation to anyone, by the way. And so Hannah hears her out and says, how do you know I was pregnant? And this lovely lady looks at her and says, I could see it in your thighs. 
That will bless you, all right? That's a, nothing like that, man. I mean, come on. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't showing at all, but this lady, she had some vision on my girl, some on her thighs, and it was like, that girl pregnant. Like, I could tell. And I don't know what she was talking about. We talked this to the day of like, there was not, but yeah, you know what? Is what it is. Some people are gifted that way. Here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is going to come into this room and start pointing at our thighs and the shapes of our bodies, but Jesus is going to tell us some things that we don't want to hear. Just like he did with his hometown. He came in there, started teaching some stuff, and they didn't like it. One of those things we talked about last week, we talked about a heavy topic of judgment. We talked about the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is what makes it the good news. But at its core, the message of the gospel is offensive to people. It screams at them, you need help. You're broken, you're sinful, you need Jesus. Listen, that's offensive. That does not make people feel good about themselves. It doesn't bless them in that way. It's true, they need to hear it, but listen, it's offensive to them. For us to come to them and say, you're broken, I have the answer, it's Jesus. Like that right there is something people don't want to listen to. It's one thing to hear that from a stranger. It's a whole other thing to hear from someone you watch grow up. And the people's familiarity with Jesus let them not be able to receive the things that he claimed to be. We know earlier on in his ministry, he went back to his hometown before this instance, and he read the scroll of Isaiah, and he actually sat there and told them, I just fulfilled this in your presence. So he claimed to be the fulfillment of these prophecies in in Isaiah, and they were so upset, they tried to kill him. So Jesus has a track record. You read the Gospels, the man stirring the pot left and right, not intentionally, not trying to be argumentative, but just by the claims that he made, people were offended by what are some of those things that he claims to be today? Well, the best passage I think that we can talk about this is John 14, verse 6. It says this, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, as Christians, we, we like amen this all day. It's a glorious sentence. Like, yes, accurate, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What Becca just said. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. But let's talk about what this actually is saying to the world because it's highly offensive to the world that we live in. When Jesus talks about being the way, he's saying he's the only way to heaven. He just alienated every major world religion in the world and told them, you're wasting your time. I'm the answer. What you're doing is not going to lead you to heaven. Only I will lead you to heaven. That's offensive. Secondly, he says that he's a truth. When he says that, he's saying he's the only standard of truth. Our culture isn't like that. Our culture likes to say to live your truth, to be true to yourself, to say you dictate what's right or wrong. And if anyone were to come to you and tell you what is right and wrong, that you should follow that, it's like the most oppressive and offensive thing in our culture. But Jesus comes on here and says, well, I am truth. I'm the standard, objectively me. Everything outside of me lies and false. Everything that comes from me is true. That's offensive. When he says he's the life, he's saying he's the only source of life. He's saying it's all about him. That everything that you pursue in your life, everything that you're aiming for and working towards, ultimately Jesus says, yeah, worthless apart from me. Life only makes sense with me. I'm the one that gives life. I'm what life is all about. So listen, no matter how you slice this and package it, it's going to upset a lot of people in the world. And there's a lot of well-meaning people who are trying to make Jesus appealing and cool and acceptable because they want people to know him. But there's just a massive problem with that. And it's this spiritual lesson. The message and teachings of Jesus will always be offensive. 
if we're going to teach what this man taught, if we're going to share the message of the gospel, if we're going to teach anything else surrounding him in the Bible, there's no way to avoid the fact that it's going to offend people. Now notice, I didn't just say the initial message is offensive. It's not just offensive to people who are lost. It's offensive to people who are saved. The teachings, the Bible of Jesus are still offensive to us today, but this is how we're made more like him. We just have a different name for it. We don't say that there's offenses in the Bible. What we say now is that there's conviction. That as we read the book, there's conviction that happens in our heart. In fact, Jesus' brother James talked about this very thing. He wrote a letter that we have in our, in our Bibles named after him. Look what he says about this very thing. James 1, verse 22 and 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's the Bible, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's what James is saying. James is saying, in the same way that you and me this morning went to the bathroom or wherever your mirror is, we looked at the mirror, we made sure before we walked out of our house that our collars were good, our hair was put up, our makeup was all touched up, that we weren't all disgruntled. The same way we use that mirror to make sure that there's no faults in our face, the same way that we look at the Bible to see if there's any faults in our spirit, in our life. That this book acts as a mirror for us to look into and it uncovers sin in our life and things that are out of line with God's will. Those things can be uncomfortable. Those things can be offensive. But it's what he has designed this book to be. This living and active book, as Hebrews 4 says, that is sharper than any two-edged sword that discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. That as we read this book, this book is reading us. And it's doing work in us. It's a, it's a lively book. We don't just believe it's a good book. We believe it's alive. And it's active and it's working in us. So we got to be doers of it, not just hearers only. Because there's a danger here. There's a danger here of us being like Travis Kelsey. What do you mean by that? Well, let me explain in a second. Travis Kelsey is obviously an incredible football player. Amen? Come on. Selfless, great man, just an incredible player, a massive human being. He's getting old, but it's okay. He's still here, right? Like we're happy to have him. But oftentimes you see Travis Kelsey doing some amazing things on the field like this. You like, you, we see him play the game, and the man is just owning other men. I mean, he is humiliating them. The Bengals picture just speaks to my soul a little bit more today than, than other teams. You know, maybe it's just a sensitive wound. But the guy right here, the Panthers player, I actually saw that live. I'm pretty sure he resigned at halftime. I think he had to like, he got so humiliated. He's like, I can't play this sport anymore. That, this man just buoyed me. Like, I'm, I'm done. But listen, here's the thing. If we aren't careful, we might be doing this to the conviction of the Lord. We might be stiff-arming the things that God is trying to speak to us today. As it comes into our life and offends us, rubs up against us wrongly and convicts us, we might be like, I don't like that. I'm going to ignore that. And the danger is your heart only has one thing to do. When it's exposed to truth, but we refuse to obey it, the only thing your heart can do is harden. Kind of like if you work with your hands or if you work out at all, if you play any instrument, you know that the skin on your palm is really sensitive. And the more you use it, it hurts for, at first. You might get blisters, but eventually calluses develop so that you don't feel the pain anymore. Spiritually speaking, when we hear the truth of God, but we refuse to obey it, our heart will become callous towards it. 
And we'll stop hearing the voice of the Lord, the leading of the Spirit because of those things. We might become, as James says, deceived, being only hearers but not doers. We might be doing a really good Kelsey impression if we're not careful. Because it's not going to be things that we want to hear, but we need these things because they give us freedom. They lead us into the life God has called us to live. So let me ask you a question. How's your heart? How's your heart today? As you read the Bible, as you hear it preached, does it just bounce off of you or is it taking root in you? Is it affecting you? Are you feeling it convict you? How is your heart today? Where have you become a hearer of the word but not a doer? Because people who know Jesus receive the things he's telling us. It may be offensive, but they know it's good. They know he loves them enough to tell them. The people are too concerned about the details. They're too offended by his claims. Third and lastly, they were too prideful to accept the message of Jesus. Verse 57, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, in his own home. This sentence that Jesus makes right here, he's claiming to align himself with all the prophets in the Bible, which means he came with a divine message. Every prophet, one of their main functions, if not the main function, is to be a mouthpiece on behalf of God, to preach a message to the world. So what was he preaching while he was doing ministry here in the Gospel of Matthew? Well, if we go back to the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 4, we're actually told. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to teach or preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he had one clear message, repent, which means to turn away from. Jesus went to the world and he began telling everyone, turn away from what you know to be true, turn away from your sin, turn away from your flesh, and turn to me. At its core, the message is not one of doom and gloom, but one of invitation. Of Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven has arrived, turn away from everything you know and come to me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's hard to do though because that means surrendering some things. And I think that's specifically difficult for us today who live in America. You ask, why is that? Well, like we just talked about, we're celebrating the reality that we are a blessed country. There's no argument about that. I'm not going to say it's wrong by any means. But I want to compare some things today. I want to compare kind of the U.S. citizen mindset and the kingdom citizen mindset. When we look at the U.S. citizen mindset, we got some sayings here. We got some things that we boast about as Americans. We're free to do what we want. This is the la- like we are the land of the free. This is what we do. We are free to pursue and to do pretty much whatever we like. We got freedoms. This is our land. Like, this is our home that we fight for and defend. Like, this is something to celebrate and be happy about. We have a say. We have votes and rights. We don't like something. Guess what we get to do? Say it. Loud and proud. Sometimes maybe a little too loudly. But we do it anyway, right? Like, this is the culture we've been raised in. And it's amazing. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else but America. Maybe go on vacation somewhere, but like to live, it's like, I want to be here, man. Like I get to be free. I get to be home. I get to say whatever I want. Like I want to live in America, but it doesn't set us up well to come to the kingdom of heaven because we got some sayings in the kingdom that don't match up well. In the kingdom, we say Jesus is king. He's the one that's ruling over this whole deal. He's the one that is king overall. We say that this is his kingdom. The place we live, wherever it is around the globe, ultimately is his. And we live not to do what we want. We live to do what he says. Let me just ask you, how do you think these two relate? 
What do you think the, hint, the, the hurdles are for us today as we've been raised in this culture and then we're invited to come into a kingdom where a kingdom has got a king, a domain, and subjects. And we are in the subject area where we don't get a say. We don't have freedom. We, we do whatever he says. That's been hard for me in my own life. I've had to come to terms with passages like Jesus when he says to the people in Luke, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus wondering, you're saying you're a Christian, which means that I'm king in your life, but you're not actually doing what I'm telling you to do. So why are you calling me Lord? We have a lot of American pride that demands a lot of kingdom humility. Because the kingdom is one that forfeits rights for the sake of others, for the sake of the mission. Again, beautiful truths that we have as Americans, but just understanding ultimately what we are are citizens of heaven. And the rules aren't the same in the kingdom of heaven and as a U.S. citizen. But why is humility so important? The reason why is because it was the pride of the people that led them to have a lack of faith in Jesus, which led them to not experiencing the working of Jesus. 58 says this, and that he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Kind of a heart-crushing ending to this chapter, that Jesus comes to his own people, his hometown, offering to change their lives and they reject him and so he leaves not doing much there the lesson for us today is that when we don't believe we need jesus we won't experience the power of jesus when we live as self-sufficient people who think we can do everything on our own and we have everything together we don't need help help is weakness we won't experience a lot of jesus working in our life that's the sad reality of this passage. It can, be, it can be easy to lose sight of the reality that we are very dependent upon God. John, John 15, 5 tells us, Jesus in his own words says, apart from me, you can do a whole lot of nothing. I lose sight of that every day of my life, of realizing how dependent I am on him. That he is sustaining me, as Becca said in the beginning, everything that we see and feel and touch, he currently is holding it together. Like, if he says a word, I'm gone. And he's telling us spiritually that apart from him, we can do nothing. I'd argue that really this is the root problem that we see in Nazareth and Jesus' hometown is the same thing we saw in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Their main temptation that rebelled against God was believing that they could be like him, to be their own God, to do things their way. So they thought, I'll take that deal over this one any day for me to be the one that calls the shots, for me to live as I want and please, I'll take that. At its core, the main sin that we fight is pride, thinking that we are good enough and put together that we don't need God. In reality, we are desperate for him. Let me ask you, have you been living your life in your own strength, leaning on your own understanding? When's the last time you confessed your need for Jesus? Because people who know him believe they need him. The people were too concerned about the details. They missed him. Too offended to receive what he was saying. And they're too prideful to accept the message he came to proclaim. So he left. And we may think that Jesus missed an opportunity. Here. Like, wouldn't Jesus want to do more miracles to convince them? Wouldn't we believe more today if we saw the things in the Bible 
all the miracles that we read about in the Old Testament and New Testament, if we can just see those things, man, our faith would be bulletproof. But Jesus instead doesn't shove his miracles on an unbelieving crowd. Why not? Because he knows it wouldn't change anything. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we have a parable where Jesus teaches a concept of a rich man and a poor man who both die and go their separate ways. The rich man goes to hell, the poor man goes to heaven next to Abraham. And so we actually get some dialogue here in Jesus' parable. He talks about the rich man looking up and he sees Abraham and he's yelling at him, hey, I need you to go tell my family. Go tell my family there's a way to avoid this. Like we talked about last week, there's hope around the judgment. I need you to go tell my family. And Abraham's like, they got it. They know. This guy's like, no, no, no. Send, send the guy who's right next to you, the poor guy. Let him go and tell them. They'll believe him. Because I would agree. Wouldn't they believe him? And Jesus tells us differently. He says this. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus says, it doesn't matter about the miracles. Because no amount of miracles are going to change the hardened heart of a person. The message of the gospel was what saves people. The message of Jesus is what saves people. Remember, the spiritual tension that we started with. People saw what Jesus could do. They heard what he taught, but they missed who he was. Their heart had rejected him. They didn't really know him. They knew about him, but they didn't know him. What about you today? Do you know him? Or are you like the people in Nazareth that, man, you saw everything he did, you've heard what he said, but you've missed who he actually is? Are you someone that's too concerned about the details that surrounds Jesus, that you kind of get in arguments that don't ultimately matter, that aren't all about Jesus? Are you someone that is too offended to receive the things that he's telling you about in his word that he's calling you to? Are you stiff-arming him? Is there too much pride preventing you from admitting and believing you need him? How's your heart today? Do you know him? Would you pray with me as we close today? lot to think about today. But I want to talk about two different groups of people. Those who don't know Jesus, I just want to ask you, how is life going? Living on your own strength? Pursuing everything else that you think you need, but ultimately realizing it's not what you need. Maybe there's someone in this room that you've grown up in church, you've grown up in Christianity, and you've been around Jesus, but you actually don't know him. You're not someone that talks about him. You're not someone that receives what he has told you. You're not someone that believes you need him. Do you know him? If you're someone today that doesn't have that relationship, you can start today by just simply praying a prayer just in your seat from your heart to heaven, not out loud. Just something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just confessing what we just said before. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin to cleanse me and heal me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you and your purposes as king of my life. I ask for your salvation and by faith I commit to following you. If you're someone that just prayed that prayer today or maybe you want to talk to someone about that, I'll have some next steps for you in just a moment. For Christians in this room, how is God speaking to you? 
what are the areas in your life that you know he's been putting his finger on, but you've been ignoring? You've been stiff-arming. What are the things he's trying to do in your heart that you have just been wrestling with him about? When's the last time you confessed your need for him? Father, like I just said, we need you. God, help us today to realize how needy we are for you. Lord, lead us in the way that you are leading us right now to take the steps of faith that we need to do. Don't let anything else distract us or get in our way. Help us to have the courage to step out in faith and follow you today. We've got to pray for our conversations as we go out today. I pray that we would not ignore everything else in the world, but God, help us to be more intentional about pointing people to Jesus, to keep the main thing the main thing. God, help us in our times alone with you, hearing the word of God, Lord, to not be offended, to not stiff arm you, but to receive your word to be doers and not just hearers. Help us, Lord, to see you move and work in our life as we desperately call out to you to do what only you can do. Father, we need you today. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.